Welcome to the Bitcoin Source Podcast, everyone. Today we have an esteemed guest with us, Pete Rizzo, a veteran Bitcoin journalist and editor. With his extensive experience and in-depth knowledge of Bitcoin, Pete, I have been following you and your thesis regarding Satoshi, so we're in for a very enlightening discussion. Thank you for joining. Thanks for having me. Uh, excited to get into it. Uh, always happy to chat about Bitcoin. Uh, you know, it's a bear market, so we've got we got to get people energized. We got to get them building. Most definitely. So, so Pete, the first question that I want to ask you is, as a Bitcoin journalist since 2013 or so. You've witnessed the evolution of the Bitcoin industry firsthand. Mm. How have you been able to see Bitcoin's narrative and public perception change over the years? And what major milestones or events do you believe have shaped its journey? Yeah, that's a great question. I always go back to the root question of the whole industry, which is, you know, Bitcoin is an invention. Uh, it's something that was created by Satoshi Nakamoto that, that didn't exist before. We've never had uh, a digital money uh, that operated like Bitcoin did. Uh, where, you know, it is true that, you know, you, the individual kind of have power within the financial system. So, um, yeah, in 10 years, the narrative around Bitcoin has changed pretty substantially. And I like to think that, you know, kind of every few years, we, we actually take another collective stab at trying to understand what Bitcoin is. Uh, but because Bitcoin is an invention and because it is, it makes real something that was previously impossible, right? When you think about an invention, uh, you have to think about something like flight, right? It was impossible to fly and then man flew, right? So it, it actually invalidates some previously true thing about the world. And, and here it's, you know, prior to Bitcoin, we needed a government uh, you know, to uh, have a financial system, a large-scale digital financial system. Uh, after Bitcoin, we don't, we no longer need that. Uh, and so, for the last ten years, we've been watching, you know, uh, people around the world kind of pile drive into <laughs> this question, seeking riches, fortune, fame, uh, all sorts of things. But ultimately, I like to think that we're getting, we're progressing towards uh, an understanding of Bitcoin that is meaningful. Uh, I would like to think that, but periodically it seems we have these bubbles uh, that kind of form and materialize and, you know, we get a very specific idea and we think we've figured out Bitcoin and then it'll change and it'll, it'll, it'll do something else and, uh, you know, we'll learn something new about it. So I, I like to engage people and talk about, you know, it's a learning process, right? I, I like to think we're still discovering things about Bitcoin. Obviously, there, there are things we have learned that we can say, you know, 100% are, are factually, you know, we think pretty true. Uh, but look, there's a lot of unknowns, right? I mean, and the people like to say it's still early. It's, it is still early. There's a lot that we don't know about Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies broadly, I would say, uh, you know, how they work or don't work and why they work or don't work. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot to dig in there. Most definitely. Thank you. Thank you for that answer, Pete. And before I get to the second uh, question, I have a little like tidbit that I that you may not know about me. Uh, you <laughs> oh, yeah. had... Because you do so much in the space, of course, you're an editor for Bitcoin Mag, you do a bunch of things. Mm. At this time, you were really heavily searching information about Satoshi. Mm. And I'll never forget, there was a researcher position that you had threw out there to get mm. like more information around Satoshi, like the, the, uh, the form, okay. Bitcoin forms. Yeah. So I did that research and uh. that actually helped me to formulate not only this episode, oh, wow. but other articles so like thank you for that because i would wow. see yeah see all those old conversations mm -hmm. satoshi had and uh i was like yeah pete knows what he's doing he's really like <laughs> digging into the research of this uh, so like yeah cool. i wish we would have hired for that position it was a great position but unfortunately yeah. you know the bear market you know you gotta you gotta focus on the fundamentals <laughs> most definitely you know satoshi nakamoto of course his his or her or they identity remains a mystery to this day of course 
Could you share any insights or theories you've explored during your study of Satoshi Nakamoto's origins? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so yeah, that's the big mystery, right? Is people want to understand who Satoshi is because usually when we have, when someone invents something, right, it is uh, a human excellence, right? Like someone has uh, achieved a degree of mastery over a subject in order to invent something, right? You, you, you have to have that level, right? So I think... I always go back to what is the fascination of Satoshi, and the fascination of Satoshi is the inventor. Uh, and so we want to understand him in order to understand his invention. So, um, you know, I think a lot of people have had different approaches to this, right? Some people have tried to, like, dig into Satoshi, like, find his internet footprint. Uh, unfortunately, they've been foiled. Uh, one of the things we've learned about Satoshi is that in addition to, you know, being, uh, you know, light years ahead of everyone and understanding money and financial systems, uh, they, he, she, as you said, uh, you know, um, had a master's degree in online privacy. Uh, and, and really, I think it's not, um, you know, really uh, impressed enough just just how, uh, how, how much effort they put into essentially disguising their online profile, you know, despite the kind of... Uh, Internet's wizards, you know, being on the lookout for him for forever, you know, we know that he, you know, used Tor, that he, you know, had a privacy, uh, you know, was totally private on the Internet. He, you know, when registering the Bitcoin domain, he like paid in cash in order to, to get the domain registrar, right? So this is a person who took precaution of his identity uh, seriously. So because we can't know who Satoshi is because of that you know, we're forced to actually kind of look at his writing, right? And that's actually one of the things that I've been able to contribute to my work really, I think is like kind of the first pretty substantial look at, you know, okay, what did Satoshi write? What did he actually leave behind? And what can we learn from him? Uh, you know, one of them is that he identified as a he, so I, you know, that's why I'm using the him, him pronoun here. Uh, but yeah, we can go through this archive and we can see how Satoshi made decisions. He also was the leader of the Bitcoin project for the better part of a couple of years, uh, including, you know, for eight or nine months when really nobody was, was using Bitcoin, right? So not only did he have to invent something, but he had to go forth and evangelize for it and actually get public interest in Bitcoin, which I think is a really funny aspect about Satoshi because you think if you were to invent something, that's kind of it, right? You've achieved something great. Uh, but no, it's not enough. It wasn't enough to do that because Bitcoin is a peer-to-peer is a -peer network. It requires you know people using it as money. So Satoshi had to sort of go forth and, and, and do that. And I think from... The way he launched and ran the project, you know, we can learn a lot about him, that he was someone who, you know, for all he knew and for all the vision that he had, really right in, in understanding that, um, you know, financial systems, the, the perils of inflation, you know, having an alternative uh, that could work uh, in a digital setting, you know, he understood all that. There were things that he didn't quite know, right? And some of them are how would Bitcoin scale to handle you know, potentially billions of users, you know, how would Bitcoin, uh, you know, be run and governed uh, without a leader, right? So if Bitcoin was a non-government currency, if there was no government running it, well, how would the software <laughs> Bitcoin be maintained? So Satoshi does sort of leave these unanswered questions that I think um, are actually really interesting and like worth exploring, right? Because I, I don't know so if, if Satoshi really completes the Bitcoin product project as we know it today, right? He, he leaves kind of these little interesting edge cases. Uh, and so for me, like, that's kind of what, as someone who, you know, I want to understand the history, but I'm not really out to just like find who Satoshi is as a kind of a got you. It's like, I want to understand where he was coming from and what he left us with. And then what we've learned about Bitcoin, because, you know, Bitcoin has evolved since Satoshi came. I think there was a tweet yesterday, you know, something like 0.06% of the code that's left is still Satoshi's, right? It's been rewritten by other developers. Uh, so this is something that was birthed into the world, and it's and it's run by an open, you know, source contributor base. Um, 
And, you know, we have added to the learning about Bitcoin, right? So Satoshi kind of started the project, uh, but didn't didn't complete it. We're completing it. Uh, and I like to think that I don't I don't know that it's complete yet. <laughs> I think there are some things we've, we might still learn, uh, you know, in the years ahead. Most definitely. And that that reminds me as well of this new AI project they have out called Spirit of Satoshi. Yeah. No, I've actually, uh, yeah, very interesting project. They're using, they're trying to train an AI to, you know, answer kind of Bitcoin questions as an alternative to chat GBT. Uh, I've actually been working kind of in the, in the Telegram groups, you know, I've been asked to kind of donate some of my writings that I think are interesting. Uh, yeah, fascinating project. Uh, I think it'll be interesting, you know, can you train an AI to, to understand Bitcoin? <laughs> Yeah, and I think that, that that will help it kind of create this time capsule around Bitcoin, too, because um, years down the road when people want to find Satoshi's insight, you know, God forbid the information gets wiped or lost in transition, you'll have other protocols out there that could actually help uh, have people learn about Satoshi. So Yeah, for sure. And uh, the digital archive, you know, that we have for Satoshi is something that we should absolutely preserve. So, yeah, love that project. Really want to see that one succeed. You know, whether it's going to answer questions like Satoshi, I, I don't know. But, it, you know, it certainly will give me good uh, summaries of Michael Saylor podcast. So we'll start there. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, you know, I've written for them. You know, they've just been such a prominent fixture inside of this ecosystem for so long and um shout out to bitcoin magazine of course yeah. um how do you approach covering the ever-evolving landscape of bitcoin and are there any specific criteria or principles you follow to ensure accurate and unbiased reporting yeah, that's, yeah a that's a great question. Um, you know, I think Bitcoin Magazine is foremost a cultural publication, right? So I think in contrast to a lot of the other kind of like cryptocurrency media out there that are trying to break news, they're trying to be maybe a bit more objective. We can kind of get into the pros and cons of that. You know, Bitcoin Magazine really is a cultural destination. It's a place for, you know, uh, the Bitcoin community to come together. And I think the approach we've really taken is that Bitcoin Magazine is a commons. It's it's a place where, you know, everyone from, you know, the mightiest kind of podcast influencer to the pleb, you know, can have their, you know, voices heard essentially, right? If you have an, uh, something that you're passionate about, you can write about it and we'll publish it. So we, t we take a pretty loose, um, or I guess would say expansive kind of definition on this, right? We've had a lot of contributors, yourself included, you know, we really optimize for, you know, diversity of opinion, right? So if somebody's passionate about an opinion and they have something about Bitcoin, we'll publish it. I mean, there's opinion pieces on Bitcoin Magazine that I don't necessarily agree with, right? But that's, that's I don't think that's our role really to say what's good or bad for Bitcoin, right? Our role is to basically, you know, uh, be the curators. And, you know, I, I think we've been challenged on this recently. It's been interesting. I'm sure you've seen what's happened with, you know, the Ordinals protocol and things like that. Um, you know, our default view, I think at this point is that, look, if you're operating within consensus rules, uh, you're not scamming anybody. You're actually, you know, there's consensual economic activity uh, that, you know, that you're, um, engaging in, you know, it's not for us to kind of gatekeep those definitions, you know, so we tend to be a bit more open for this conversation, as I said, right? So, uh, you know, the Bitcoin Magazine conference or Bitcoin conference this year was, you know, interesting. It was a battleground of some of those ideas. There were some people, you know, who are going out and they, they have totally different viewpoints on what Bitcoin is, right? Uh, I think, you know, your Safedina Moose and the Bitcoin Standard crowd, you know, a staunch kind of monetary maximalist really sees Bitcoin as sound money for the world. Um, and then you have, you know, your wizards, uh, your taproot wizards who, you know, they think that, you know, uh, yeah, sound money is great, but, uh, you know, hey, let's, there's a bunch of kids, you know, 
storing art on different blockchains. So let's get them energized around Bitcoin. Uh, so, you know, again, we are a platform for opinions, right? At, at the end of the day, that's what I would say, right? And I think, um, you know, my aspiration would be that if there is a dialogue happening in the Bitcoin community, that's reflected on Bitcoin Magazine. I don't think it's our place to really kind of come down on one side or the other, you know, people kind of saying like, oh, you know, this is spam or, you know, this is that, or you shouldn't allow that. I mean, you know, look, there are lines and editorial divisions will make, um, you know, we've chosen not to cover, uh, you know, the kind of emerging Bitcoin token, uh, you know, space. So, you know, I think we're open to covering Bitcoin token protocols, right? So if you're launching a standard for tokens or something like that, you know, we've covered taproot assets, we've covered, um, things like Cashew and eCash that are coming out, you know, which I would say kind of all class in that, in that similar category where they're trying to kind of build top layer economic systems on top of Bitcoin. Uh, but, you know, we're not going to cover the latest BRC token uh, because, you know, A, I don't think many of us think very highly of that standard. Uh, but B, you know, it's like we don't we don't really want to we think that, like, you know, we'll build on Bitcoin and we'll provide value to, you know, the Bitcoins that people use. Right. We think that that is, uh, you know, one of the things that really actually distinguished the Ordinals protocol. Right. At the end of the day, it didn't have a token. It actually was providing economic value to the Bitcoin chain, the Bitcoin miners, to the Bitcoin users. Uh, you know, you can argue with the design. There's a lot of pros and cons. I've spent a lot of time <laughs> arguing with people about it. Uh, but ultimately, I don't think we want to shy away from that or be. Uh, draconian and like coming to some view because uh, you know i think the marketplace will play that speaking, out speaking on that front about um being very like careful about what is actually issued in the publication you can see like the big noise around xrp right now and regulation and you know how do you see like regulatory landscape changing surrounding bitcoin because of the xrp case and do you think that it impacts it at all or it has nothing to do with Bitcoin? Well, I think, every, I mean, everything in cryptocurrency affects everything else because I always go back to, you know, the, what is the cryptocurrency ecosystem? Like the whole cryptocurrency ecosystem exists on the claim that Bitcoin, Satoshi Nakamoto's invention either needs to be ex extended, improved, or replaced. At the end of the day, any other cryptocurrency is trying to do those one of those three things. They're trying to replace Bitcoin, extend Bitcoin, or improve Bitcoin. Uh, so because all cryptocurrency projects are doing one of those three things, they're fundamentally related to Bitcoin, right? They're making some claim about Satoshi's invention. Uh, so I think you do have to treat all of these things as one class, right? That is one group of, of uh, you know, creations, though they're not all equal. So I think, you know, in regards to XRP, I think there's a decent, uh, you know, sized uh, coalition within the Bitcoin uh, community. Uh, that really wants the U.S. Uh, you know legal apparatus uh, to declare cryptocurrencies securities, and I think there's a lot of you know uh, you know there's a lot of actually good reasons why you might want that, where that might be a sensible thing uh, for you know the U.S. government, whose job is to you know essentially uh, you know weigh the risk of like marketplace activity, they might want to come to that conclusion. Uh, so I think the XRP lawsuit that you're talking about, the SEC sued Ripple, uh, which is the kind of startup company formed around the XRP. There's a whole whole lineage of like strange information around that. Uh, but essentially, you know, a group of programmers, you know, they created a software that had a cryptocurrency and then they made a company that then was gifted that cryptocurrency and then they gave that cryptocurrency to people and then they distributed, right? Ripple was an interesting uh experiment in the cryptocurrency world because it you know uh, it happened really early on it was in 2013 and it had all these interesting characteristics a lot of people didn't think it was going to go anywhere i mean i think we've seen that it hasn't really gone anywhere but um 
Yeah, I think the XRP case was interesting because, you know, uh, in a lot of respects, people felt it was a strong case where like a company and a cryptocurrency were pretty synonymous and that if there was going to be an issue, uh, you know, a coin that the U.S. regulators really cracked down on, it would be XRP. Uh, I have a couple qualms with that because, again, like Ripple was so early that, you know, they didn't do any of this kind of ICO stuff that, that some of the later projects did. So they're actually a little bit outside of that. Uh, but I thought the big takeaway from that is the legal language around it was, and it'll be interesting to see if this holds up in court, but essentially the, if you really read the uh, uh, ruling, what the court decided was that uh, the people who issued XRP, uh, the coders didn't issue the money. What happened was that the software issued the money. You've actually read this. This is actually real. This is real. You can go into the, you can go into the documents and read it. What they said is that the, the uh, XRP software, which issued the 100 million XRP. So, so in the, the legal current legal view, uh, you, the coder who writes the, 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 uh, the software for uh, the cryptocurrency, you are not issuing the cryptocurrency. It's, it's the software itself that's doing that. And that, I think, is just kind of mind-blowing because I think, um, you know, it gets into... It, 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 it sidesteps a lot of the interesting questions about, you know, okay, well, if you are issuing... A, if you are writing a cryptocurrency software, are you issuing... The currency, because you can argue that Satoshi Nakamoto didn't actually issue uh, any of the currency. What what proof of work did, and why Bitcoin wasn't an invention, why Bitcoins became money, is because it it found a way to incentivize people uh, to do a costly form of work. This is proof of work. Maybe I'm explaining this. Maybe people know this. Uh, and they and it caused that data to be valued as money. But in the end of the day, the end users of the software were the ones who were creating. The new money, right? Satoshi Nakamoto didn't actually issue that. Uh, so I don't know. I, I view the XRP case as one that uh, the conclusion is really baffling. It's very baffling. <laughs> don't understand it at all. Uh, and very weird. And pretty much just opens up the case for like, if Ripple is not a security, if XRP is not a security, then like basically nothing is at this point. Uh, but then it sidesteps all the really interesting questions about you know cryptocurrency developers and the differences between cryptocurrencies. And I think that's pretty unfortunate because I think that you know, uh, Bitcoin mining and proof of work, like there, there's a really elegant system. It takes a long time to really understand the problem that it solved. Uh, Ripple didn't solve that problem, like XRP didn't, which is why they had to give all the cryptocurrency to themselves. Um, so you can kind of see just inherently these are not kind of like equal inventions there. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's a big blow for the people who think that Bitcoin is going to sort of win by some sort of regulatory enforcement. Uh, and I do sort of agree with the crowd of Bitcoiners who are saying, you know, uh, we shouldn't concern ourselves with the actions of government. Um, you know, Bitcoin is going to have to compete in the open market versus everything else. Uh, and look, at the end of the day, if you think Bitcoin is the best form of money, I don't know why that bothers you because, you know, uh, it should just be obvious to you that Bitcoin is the best form of money and that people can just trade and buy and sell whatever other things they want. Uh, and then just over time, they'll just realize that that's not as good as Bitcoin and they'll just move along, right? Like that's the ideal uh, that's a preferable scenario to the government just like confiscating a bunch of money from people, I think. But, you know, we'll see what happens. <laughs> and we're still so early and we still don't really know how the government entities will kind of treat this protocol. And of course, I'm a Bitcoiner first and I want Bitcoin to win. But, you know, it is a competitive market. It's an open market. And these protocols are just going to kind of it's going to be like let the best man win or the best protocol win. And I personally think Bitcoin will do so. but. XRP definitely threw a monkey wrench into the the fray here 
with the way that we approach these digital assets and how people can invest in them. Yeah, I think at the very least, what you're going to see is you're going to see a renewed push by the cryptocurrency industry in the U.S. to fight back against the SEC. I think it really was a big blow for the SEC. I think for Bitcoiners, I mean, at the end of the day, we have to further the adoption of Bitcoin and increase demand for Bitcoin. And that's really should be our focus. I think the more we're focused on things that are not that... Uh, just it's not productive like it's not productive to be debating like securities laws with people like I don't know why you would want to do that or what you think the benefit of it is uh, at the end of the day it's like Bitcoin has to solve problems for people or be used by people or, or, or they should use something else right like a good example is the recent kind of stable coin controversy um, you know where people are sort of upset that you know people in like uh, inflation ravaged environments or you know uh, developing countries like they're using stable coins over other networks like whether it's ethereum or tron um and they are they're they are doing that um you know i went to lebanon myself i talked with the local bitcoiners there this is how they buy bitcoin they, they are effectively unbanked they have no banks so they you know go to a local broker who can you know cash deal give them access to stable coins and then they buy bitcoin like that's what they do uh, so I think that, um, you know, I hope that the Bitcoin, larger Bitcoin community will start engaging with some of these things because, you know, uh, just because you want to believe a certain narrative, like, doesn't mean that it's true, right? I think that right now, stable coins are as important as Bitcoin uh, in terms of, like, actually preserving the wealth of, of people as the end users. So I think the question for people in Bitcoin is, do we want to disrupt that? Do we want to be a competitor in that market? Or what's the strategy, right? Because um, if we... We can't call that a scam. It's not, it is not a scam. Those people are using a technology that is actually helping them, and that is not Bitcoin. Uh, you know, maybe doesn't need the Tron network to function, but that's currently how it works. So, you know, if you don't have a better solution, uh, you know, what right do you have to complain about it? Is essentially, you know, uh, the way that I would look at it. I would like to see the Bitcoin community out, try to outcompete uh, those, uh, you know inadequate solutions i think we've seen some people who want to do stable coins over lightning stable coins on bitcoin i would love to see a resurgence in that personally i think it would be a well worthwhile activity uh, because look at the end of the day i don't think we want people sending holding value on something like the tron network we just know that it's a very brittle cryptocurrency system i mean it's run by like 32 people most of whom are justin sun i mean it's just <laughs> you know uh we we shouldn't want that but that that is the status quo right so you have to accept reality at, at some point um and so I would like the Bitcoin community to kind of like call the arms, let's go out and solve the problem. But you have to recognize that there is a problem first. And I, and I think that's the discussion that's happening now is I think there's still some reticence to to really accept that, you know, um, other some other cryptocurrency networks are serving useful functions for people. Awesome. Awesome, man. Uh, last question for you, Pete. So is there any advantages or milestones you believe will have significant impact on Bitcoin's future and its position within the broader financial ecosystem? You kind of answered that a little bit, but um, just your personal take outside of what we're seeing with the different cryptocurrencies, just your Bitcoin insight that you've gained over all these years. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that's on Bitcoin's side is time. I think time will be the biggest champion of Bitcoin. I think time has been the biggest champion of Bitcoin for myself personally and many others. Uh, the natural first reaction to people who discover Bitcoin is to doubt it and to say that, you know, it's not real, it won't work, it'll go to zero. Uh, and the more people who see that and the more people who touch cryptocurrency, who use it and who use Bitcoin, they actually can send it back and forth to someone or use other cryptocurrencies and see that Bitcoin is a better solution. I mean, I think that was one of the cool things for me about, you know, the ordinals craze earlier this year is that 
you had NFT script kitties downloading Lightning and saying, wow, this is just as good as, you know, Solana or whatever, like, you know, sort of VC mined coin they were using before, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think it'll be interesting to see it play out, but I think time is on Bitcoin's side. I think that um, there are a lot of questions that we have to answer about Bitcoin. I think that hopefully this bear market will, will get some more energy, but I think, you know, look, the hardest time in Bitcoin is really, I think, your second cycle, right? I think we, we see is that, you know, Bitcoin has a programmatic scarcity. It's what's going to happen is there are going to be supply shocks. Price is going to go up over time. That's the trend. That's what's happened. Uh, but, you know, there's been a huge tendency in the community to, you know, equate our understanding of Bitcoin with those price increases, right? We think that we're, we think that we are the reason that this is happening. <laughs> uh, when I'm not really so sure about that, I, I expect Bitcoin to go up in price about every four years. Uh, I expect over time that most cryptocurrencies will fail and that the longer people spend using those cryptocurrencies, the more likely they'll be to adopt Bitcoin. Uh, and I think that will be the case for some time. I don't think that there's going to be, you know, kind of a dramatic go to zero moment for the crypto community. Uh, I think that Bitcoin will persevere. It will keep going up. We'll keep learning about it. Um, you know, and I think that, um, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, we can get people using Bitcoin uh, before there is some cataclysmic event, because we know that the current financial system is so rigid and has all these problems. Uh, and, you know, it would be nice to think that Bitcoin will be a better solution for people, right? That people will use Bitcoin in the same way you we use the Internet right now. Right. Where it's like we're having this conversation. You're in your room. I'm in my room. We're coming together. We're sharing knowledge. This was completely impossible before. Right. These are the kind of things I think we have to get to with Bitcoin. Right. Uh, and we have to keep uh, building towards. So, yeah, Pete, I couldn't agree more. Like, I really enjoyed having this conversation with you. Um, you know, your extensive experience as a journalist and editor has been super valuable in this ecosystem. And I just thank you for your continued contributions. Once again, thank you for being on the Bitcoin Source podcast. I hope to have you on again at a, as a guest at some point. Yeah. Uh, once again, thank you, Pete Rizzo. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, if anybody wants to give me a follow on Twitter, at uh, Pete underscore Rizzo, uh, we do a little, little history every day. Uh, so if you're, you're new and you need to catch up, uh, I'd love to be your resource. So Dadu, appreciate it, man. Uh, you know, happy to be on anytime. Thank you. Oh, 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 oh,